The Hebrew rabbis attribute Psalm 91 to the writer of Psalm 90, which is Moses. Moses, we know, is the, the deliver, great deliverer during the oppression of Pharaoh in Egypt. And he's the one that went up on the mountain and got the revelation and got the tablets of the law that brought the greatest goalposts for humanity. We owe so much to the Jewish people. The Messiah came through them. The law and the prophets came through them. This is a holy, wonderful, exceptional group of people. And uh, we honor that. We honor that. And uh, that's our, those are our roots. We that weren't Jewish, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, got privileged to get in on the deal. God told Abraham, hey, not only will your people be blessed, but the nations will be blessed. Isn't that a wonderful thing, that the gospel went out to all people groups, every ethnicity, every age, every circumstance. Aren't you thankful? It's Jesus for all. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died to set the captives free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So here we are, Psalm 91. And altogether, what I want you to do is read this out of your own mouth particularly verse 2, where it says, I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge, he's my fortress, he's my, my deliverer, he's my God, and so forth. And I want you to, but I want you to, as you read it, be aware of this. As you're reading it, when the devil tells you you have not been a good Christian and you haven't been in the Word, you could say, ah, uh, wait a minute, I just read Psalm 91. Okay? Right? Because he's always accusing always making us feel bad, always making us feel like failures. But yet, you know what? Also, as you speak God's word out of your mouth, it does something to you. Faith and love and confidence in God grow upon the continual confession of it. One of the definitions of Christianity is it's called the great confession. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us when, as Christians, we fail or sin, we, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Who's thankful for that? So, let's speak God's word. In fact, Paul told Timothy not to neglect the public reading of Scripture. And in many liturgical movements of the Christian faith, many denominations of those of that kind of approach, they routinely have the public reading of Scripture. And it's a good thing. So we're going to do it today. Are you ready? Psalm 91. It's only 16 verses. Here we go. Are you ready? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may take refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. 
A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You will put a whooping on. I changed that. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high, because he has known my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise God. Let's praise God. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Come on. Thank God for his holy word. Thank God for this demonstration of his grace. Thank God for his goodness. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. He surrounds us with songs of deliverance. I'm so thankful. His love never runs out. It never runs dry. You know, you could look at bank accounts and they can deplete. And, you know, you can see rivers run dry. You can see after a weather scare, you could go to the store and all the paper towels are gone. You know, stuff like that. But with the Lord, he's infinite. There's enough for him. There's enough of him to go around. We have a wonderful girl from Mauritius. I just had her, her family was here for three months visiting, beautiful family. Little island off the coast of Madagascar, which is off the coast of Africa, as you know. They're just beautiful islanders. She's a uh, actuary. And I actually still don't know what an actuary does, but it's pretty posh. And you have to take a bunch of tests and you have to be super smart. And uh, she's in our church and they, they miss our church. And, and we've got Cyril, who's from London. He, he comes and his son is going out for NBA basketball. And he, you know, he comes all the way from England and he's actually Nigerian of birth and he lives in London and here he is in the heartland in Missouri. So, you know, really, the kingdom, the, the church is really the story of what happens in society when the Savior comes, melts down division, pulls together age brackets. I'm thankful for the young in our church because they keep us young, don't they? I'm thankful for the people who have matured and lived some life because they bring some anchoring and some steadiness, and it's beautiful. It's just the way it's supposed to be. Juanita and Leon, Juanita was telling me, you know, I just love seeing all the young people run past here. Some people get all sanctimonious. It's like, you kids sit down. You know, it's like, I, I want our kids to stand up and rejoice, and I want, them to, I want them to change the world, don't you? I want this to be an environment where you young families, you know, you train up your children in the way they should go. 
And when they're old, they'll not depart from the way. They'll stand strong. In the last service, we had a young woman who went away to school at Missouri State in Springfield. And when she got there, it just wasn't a good fit. And so she said, I came back and I'm going to a local community college and I wanted, and I wanted to be with my parents. And it wasn't like a failure to launch and it wasn't like over-dependence and it wasn't like she couldn't handle it. She was being led by the Holy Spirit. God wants to do great things through all the ages and everybody in this church. Hallelujah. But he also wants to do eight things for people who love the Lord. And I think about when that scribe asked Jesus in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, hey, Lord, what really matters most in life? Distill the priorities for me. What pleases God? How do you, get, how do, you do this thing? What do, what do we do? The Jewish faith has, you got to wash these, these, these utensils and you got to take a calf or a goat or a bull and you got to do this with the entrails and, I, and then you, you do the Sabbath and, and, and washing your hands before a meal and, there, and you can't work on, this, on the Sabbath. There's, what do we do? What do we do? And Jesus answers in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And this is the, where we got the motto for this church when I was in Bible school. Honor God, help people is summed up in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It says we'll love, we should love our neighbor as ourselves. That's why I keep telling you to hug 350 to 500 people. Because we need to love one another. Hallelujah. But the key for life, according to what Jesus distilled there, is God really has designed and fashioned us to love him. To love him. God's not needy. God wasn't in, out there in eternity going, oh, I feel lonely. Boy, I need some people that can love me. No. God is full on and has no need. But yet God wanted to create a system where he had co-laborers, joint heirs, people who were given free will and then would be given forgiveness of sin and be given opportunity to connect with him and love him and walk with him. And so he could just lavish and show forth how much of his mercy and his grace and his sustaining power is available. And I know in this room there are some various degrees of issues. Some of you have had some... Answers, answers to prayer and high points and breakthrough, and we celebrate with you. The Bible requires that we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. Not get jealous and feel bad, but rejoice. And when also, when people are going through a struggle, we're to weep with those who weep, and we're to stand in order that they, we could see them get a deliverance and a breakthrough and a healing and whatever the need is. And that's part of the reason I love the assembly of coming to church, because God said that we're to do it that we're not to forsake assembly, which is the habit of some. It's habit-forming. Life is habit-forming. We might as well form good ones. And a good one is to consistently, continually fellowship. And in this sight and sound generation, in this social media world, in this isolation on, on pads and phones and things, the, the higher the tech, the, the greater the necessity for the higher the touch and the connection and the FaceTime and the showing up together. Is something powerful, and the Bible calls it a, a corporate anointing. It's, it's where we all are a body, and we're fit together. And so here we are, standing together, believing God for one another's deliverance, believing God for breakthrough. If you've come here with hurt in your life, 
I pray you'd be healed. If you've had alarming symptoms or the doctors pronounced some serious issue in your life, I pray God gives you an extension and heals your body. I believe in that and we'll agree for that in the name of Jesus. If you've fallen on the skids between work and you're just dipping into your savings or you're almost depleted, I believe God can turn your situation around make you gainfully employable and get you back on a place and get you in the meantime help you just because he loves you. Psalm 91, last few verses. He will deliver you. Who in here has ever been delivered? Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. In 2 Corinthians 1.10, Paul the Apostle made a great statement of the past, present, and future tense of deliverance. He said, God who delivered us is delivering us and will deliver us. Have you ever been delivered? Jesus teaches that we should pray that we will be delivered from temptation. Deliver us from evil. God knows how to deliver the godly ones from temptation. We must pray profusely for one another and for ourselves. We would be delivered from temptation because it's formidable and the devil is good at being a tempter. He's been a devil a lot longer than you and I have been humans. And it's important that we pray these things, but also understanding that when you love God, he will deliver you. When you're loved, God will watch over you. Under the shadow of his wings, under his pinions, we find refuge. Number two, I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. In the Psalms, Elohim, Adonai, Hashem, Jehovah, Yahweh, his names, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. What's in a name? So much. But yet, the name above every name is Jesus. And when you have the wonderful understanding of the name of Jesus, it'll make you cringe worse than fingernails on a chalkboard when you hear somebody use it in vain. Because you know when you called upon it, it saved you from hell. You know when you called upon the name of Jesus, all of heaven is funneled into the name of Jesus. It's a name above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is the Lord. With the name of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3, the man was healed to the point where he was able to walk from something he had all his life, and he was free, walking and leaping and praising God. At the name of Jesus, he'll set you securely on high. And by the way, one of my favorite ideas is found in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19, where he makes our feet like hinds feet and sets us upon our high places. And the verse is about how he redeems our life from the pit. How many of you have been in the pit? Jonah was in the belly of a fish. That's the pit. And God delivered him once he repented. God delivered him. Lazarus was in the pit of death. And Jesus stood at his tomb and said, Come forth. This is the God we serve. This is the body of the content of the end of this chapter. He will call upon me and I will answer him. There's something wonderful about praying. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call upon me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. You workers at work, you have an advantage. You could pray and God will give you wisdom beyond your understanding, beyond your education, beyond your skill. You could come in like a Joseph or a Daniel. You could come in and have an expression of an understanding, a little subtle thing, doesn't have to be all big and demonstrative, 
Well, I was praying, and this is what I got in my heart, boss. And the boss said, what? And it could change. If you're in advertising, a whole different approach. If you're buying land, it could show you how to bid correctly so that if there are unforeseen issues, so you're protected from problems or from something biting, coming up and biting you. I've seen people, men and women in our church, save their companies millions of dollars and save dozens of jobs. He'll set you on your high place. The idea of being in a high place is pretty cool. Psalm 46.1, God is my refuge and he's my strength, a very present help in trouble. You don't feel it usually when you're in trouble. Your emotions are flooding you. Cortisol is flooding you. Nervousness is biting you. I got an email from a woman who moved to Indiana who's from our church for 20 years. She's been listening to my podcast and she tapped into one that she played over and over and over and over again. And it assuaged her anxiety and brought her into a place of faith. That's what I hope you will understand is God is with you in trouble. He's with you. He's not abandoning you. He's not a deadbeat God. He's a heavenly father who's with you in trouble. He was with Daniel on the lion's den. He was with David when Saul was persecuting him. He was with the early church when they were in horrendous challenge. I will rescue him. I've been rescued over and over and over and over, but I know I'm also in a room of people who have been rescued over and over and over, and your testimony, I dignify it, I honor it. Your testimony is your testimony. It's precious. Use it. Remind yourself that he's your rescuer. He says, I'll honor him. You know, when you believe and you walk with him, he'll give, there's not much honor in this world. I mean, even if you look at the attitude people have in the beautiful position, the, the calling of a presidency of the United States and how much belittlement there is for a long period of time, how dismissive people were toward those who serve in the military. By the way, it's all volunteer service. It's all volunteer service. They're all committing to go out and do things that nobody else is willing to do. They're the top 1%. But I'll say this about a believer. God looks at you with that affection and that, that appreciation and that regard and that interest. When you step out of the ranks and say, you know what, God, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want my life to count. I want to sign up, Lord. I want to serve you. This is a volunteer service as well. Like Reinhard Bonnke said, heaven is only going to be full of volunteers. And when you serve and follow and walk with him and love him, he'll honor you with his presence. He'll honor you with the substance of his promises. He'll honor you. Honor wherever you go. You're an ambassador for Christ, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Meditate on that. Get a hold of that. God doesn't want us to be prideful about any of this. It's, it's a grace. It's a gift. It actually humbles you. It's like, oh, man, that I get to be part of your kingdom. Wow, that you love me? Wow, I love you back, Lord. With long life, I'll satisfy you. When my dear mother-in-law, Ann Shoemake, passed on Christmas morning a few years ago, she was wearing beautiful, mismatched, but beautiful pajamas, buttoned up pretty. She still had makeup on from the day. Her hair was still curled from her style. She was laying on her side. We as a family got around her hearts broken, weeping, but she elegantly left this world and was present with the Lord. And she was in her 80s and she was satisfied. Her sons, her daughter, her grandkids were saved. Hallelujah. That's a wonderful thing. 
One of my great mentors said, as he got older and he saw how much that love everybody had toward him, he said, hey, listen, guys, I'm going to eventually go be with the Lord. The Lord showed me when I'm going to die and all that stuff. It's kind of it's like, well, when are you going to die? And it's like, that's just too creepy. You know, it's like, but God told him. So that's cool. So he said, uh, and when I go, you'll know I was satisfied. And that was the testimony he left. So it really wasn't that morbid when he died. And my family, we had the privilege of being able to go to the cemetery, just a few people. We were there. And it was holy. He was satisfied. He was satisfied. In Jesus' name, the last days of your life will be fruitful. With long life, he'll satisfy you. And I rebuke early death, and I pray you live to be super old and not grumpy. And he'll let you see his salvation. He'll let you see his salvation. Nobody deserves to be saved. Salvation doesn't come to people who earn it. Jesus, when he came into the village and he said, he said to the people like the woman with seven demons, Mary Magdalene, or the business ripoff, Zacchaeus, it made the people freak out. Why are you going to his house? Don't you know he's a sinner? When the lady came in, of the lady of questionable repute, and brought the perfume and broke it and washed his feet with her tears and, with, and anointed him with the perfume, and everybody went, this is great. You shouldn't even be, let her be near you. But that's who he came to save. And let's look at that as we close. And he'll let us see his salvation. He said, I'll let you see my salvation. He'll let you see. There's a man who's on a testimony about how he died. He wasn't saved. And he said, these evil, dark beings pulled him against his will away and down and out and away into darkness. And by the mercy of God, he survived and came back to life and he got saved. I've heard this of a few people. Megan's grandpa, Todd, lived a big life in abundance, but was dismissive. Got to the hospital room, we snuck in on a Saturday. Taylor got down on his knees. I'm about ready to marry your granddaughter. Cool, that's good. We've come here to lead you to the Lord. I said, I've come here to lead you to the Lord. He goes, show me what you got, boys. So Taylor shared the gospel with Uncle Todd. I had a verse for him. Instruct people that are rich in this life not to base their security on the uncertainty of this world's riches, but on God. And uh, it, he asked Jesus in his heart. He died the next day. You imagine someone never knew God, the privilege of being able to stand before the Lord. But you know what? I think I'm going to feel like that guy. I'm not going to go there and go, yeah, I developed a high level of faith. I really know a lot of the promises of God. I've been fellowshipping with you. It's just, you know, I was expecting this. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to stand before the Lord and I'm going to say, thank you, God, I get to be here. That's going to be my testimony. I'm going to say, thank you, God, you saved sinners, or I would never have made it. God, I pray blessing on everybody as they go today. I pray all these truths just bear down in practicality in each life, Lord. It's so awesome that all these kids are in here that have an interest in the Lord, and they're not just being dragged to church. It's so awesome that couples have worked through fights and strife and coped and forgave and got stayed on, on it. 
It's so awesome, Lord, the people that had difficulty getting pregnant or having babies. God, it's so awesome that you're willing to pour out the gifts of the Spirit in our lives so we can be all the more effective. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for these eight things you'll do for those who love you. And I do pray deliverance and protection. I pray people watch out when they walk on black ice this winter. I pray people are extra alert and careful, not overly cautious in a nervous way, but just protected. And I thank you for those gigantic, better than training wheels, angels, that encamp around about us to keep, especially us guys, from all the doofus stuff. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you guys.